next on the OHIO Podcast. The Wild Man and Buckeye Boggs talk about the additions of USC and UCLA to the Big Ten and who or what might be next. They review the newest Buckeye commits, talk about the top 10 returning defensive linemen in the Big Ten for 2022, and who is the 1980s Mount Rushmore of Ohio State football. And that all starts right now. It's so easy to be average. You know it as well as I know it. It takes a little something to be special, Don. It takes a little something special to be a great player. We don't have enough great players. To hell with that! We don't want to coach average. I don't want to be around you. Why be around average? I'm proud of our young people in the classroom, in the community, and most especially in 310 days in Ann Arbor, Michigan, on the football field. Three things. Number one, the team that hits the hardest and the longest, the team that starts the fastest, and the team is too damn smart to make mistakes. If you take it to them, if you don't make mistakes, and you keep taking it to them, hell, there's no question who wins. It's time for the best Buckeye podcast. By fans, for the fans, where they hate that team up north as much as you do. It's time for the OHIO Podcast. OHIO! Welcome back to the OHIO Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Buckeye Boggs, recording live from beautiful North Central Ohio, where I am joined by my co-host, the wild man himself, Chris Wilds. Happy Independence Day, Chris! Yeah, you too, Eric. Uh, were you enjoying a little bit of barbecue today, were you? Yeah, we had some Coney dogs on the grill and... Uh, Enjoyed a nice, relaxing Sunday afternoon. Uh, of course, tomorrow I'm off work, like most of America, celebrating the birthday of our great nation. Looking forward to that. Had had a fireworks show I was a part of the other day. So, yeah, a lot of, lot of good stuff going on. You and your family got some things planned for the 4th, do you? Uh, we, we got some things that may be going on. You know, today, uh, as I was telling you before we got started, had to uh, – put in a little bit of work before we could enjoy the weekend, you know, out, uh, cutting down some, uh, cutting down some trees with, uh, the cousin and, uh, ha- had a little bit of business going on today, but, uh, you know, other than that, pretty nice day, a little warm out there the last couple days. <laughs> it is summertime, but the wild man always doing some hustle. I got to appreciate that. If you're not satisfied with pickup games and unric matches, chances are you're aiming higher than most at Spire. You'll train to be the best. Whether you're drawn to the pool, track, map, basketball, court, or gaming controller, we provide the training you need to achieve your dream. Make our facilities your home or take advantage of free transportation services. Are you ready to unlock your potential? Visit SpireCleveland.com today. Well, Chris, let's sandwich all of this news this week from Ohio State in between the Big Ten talks, shall we? I mean, obviously, when the first domino fell last year with Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC, it was only a matter of time before what happened this week eventually was going to happen. Now, I'm going to give people who I normally don't give credit to a lot of credit in the fact that the Big Ten did not drag their feet like they have in the past on most things, but they actually allowed themselves to be a little bit proactive 
and went ahead and pulled the trigger on the biggest two teams from the, well, at least one of the biggest teams, but I guess they come together, from the Pac-12 and USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten, making the Big Ten the one and only coast-to-coast conference in all of college sports. This was kind of shocking because I did not see this coming. There was no rumors about it. And then out of the blue, bam, it happened. The announcement was made quickly and the college world got turned upside down. Chris, let's just start the conversation with this. Were you shocked like I was? Well, I was a little shocked, especially given the fact that we had this coalition in place. What coalition? uh, With the, you know, the the (laughs) scheduling group with, uh, you know, you know, the ACC and the yeah. uh, the Pac-10. And, and you know, I'm going to say five words I never thought were going to come out of my mouth in my lifetime, Eric. Kevin Warren got it right. Well, I don't. OK, so I don't, I don't know, know if it was just Kevin Warren or I don't or think it had. It, I don't think it had a lot to do with Kevin Warren at all. In fact, I'm going to I'm going to give credit to Gene Smith here. It sounds like to me from what I'm hearing, Chris, the athletic directors of the Big Ten are the ones who spearheaded this when USC and UCLA came to them. Not Kevin Warren. Well, you know what? It it was a brilliant move, and I'll tell you. So originally, I'm not going to lie to you, Eric. I wasn't sure how I felt about it. Because the first thing that uh, came to my mind is, well, you know, this – is it going to devalue the concept of the Rose Bowl? Uh, you, you know, that's always been th- – that historic venue has hosted typically the top Big Ten team if they're not in the playoff versus the top, you know, Pac-10 team. And it seems like it's always USC, UCLA. I mean, yeah, you get Washington from time to time. You get Oregon. Last year we saw Utah. But – as tradition would stand, it was a USC or UCLA team in there, you know, typically against an Ohio State, a Michigan, uh, you know, or one of the the others that might sneak in from time to time. And I thought to myself, is this going to take away from that, considering this is now going to be a venue that could regularly host Big Ten games? Now, I got thinking about it, though, and I thought something you mentioned, this is a true national expansion. The Big Ten just took college football and they Vince McMahon that puppy. <laughs> because what they did, you know, when he decided to go national with his wrestling business, he purged the best talent from each of the regions. He secured the largest TV markets. And that's how he was able to bury the Southern promotions. Well, you know what? That's basically what the Big Ten is doing. They're, they're following that model. They went out and they grabbed a huge market in that Los Angeles market. That is huge, especially as we're getting ready to approach a Big Ten, you know, market uh, television contract. And, and it gives the Big Ten a true national audience base. It incorporates, as I said, the expanded markets. And I think really what it's going to do as well is I think it's going to expand the the uh, recruiting reach of the big 10 as well. You know, we always knew, you know, Ohio state recruits the West coast. Well, they do, but the other big 10 teams maybe don't have that exposure, but with us getting out there, making that part of our conference now, especially with the NIL, I think it's going to drive recruiting. 
And it was really a solid financial move for USC and UCLA as well as they, you know, they're going to benefit from what, probably $80 million to $100 million in additional television revenues. And they're getting out at a time when their contract was expiring with the Pac-10, so they owe nothing. It's not like they're going to have to buy their way out of their deal. So I think this was a great move by all the parties involved. Uh, You know, it gives the Big Ten two of the top young coaches in all of college football. I mean, you look at Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley, and just what these guys have been responsible for since, you know, really coming on the scenes. You've got Day with Haskins and Field, and now Stroud. You've got uh, Riley putting out Mayfield and Murray, who were both Heisman Trophy winners, Hurts. Yeah, he started at Alabama, but he had a great year at Oklahoma. Caleb Williams, who who followed Riley out there to to USC. I mean, that's five first round picks, two Heisman Trophy winners, or and two of the three favorites for the Heisman Trophy this season. And, and I think the potential fireworks between these offensive gurus just sets up some really exciting potential on the field. Um, UCLA, you know, they've struggled recently in football. But let me tell you, they give instant basketball credibility. So I think that this was a great move for everybody involved. <clears throat> this has a lot to do with Fox, does it not? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I saw a meme uh, not to uh, on Twitter. I think it was yesterday. It says we're we're quickly moving to two conferences in college football: ESPN and Fox. <laughs> yes, it's absolutely right. It, it is. I mean, you think about it. You've got ESPN, who is the owners of the SEC network. You've got Fox, who is, is you know all in on Big Ten, and Really, that's what it's going to come down to. I mean, we've talked about this in shows in the past. We've dedicated shows to this, Eric. Uh, it's going to come down to two super conferences and everybody else. And right now, if your name is not the Big Ten, your name is not the SEC, you are everybody else. Yeah, and you know, and I don't want to dive too much into our final conversation for the night because Notre Dame is going to be a, a lot of where we go from here. But let's concentrate on USC and UCLA for a minute. I look at UCLA, and I'm I'm going to be a homer here and say Ohio State is one of the what I call the big three in college football right now, but USC has every bit the potential to climb into that conversation of being one of the powerhouses again with the addition of Lincoln Riley, like you mentioned. Right now, I put UCLA or excuse me USC right behind Ohio State in the Big Ten pecking order. Do you agree or disagree? Well, you know, this is why I'm going to agree, because eventually we're going to have to decide as a conference, are we going into, say, five team pods or are we going to go into an east and west division? Either way, USC isn't going to have to play Ohio State every year. And that's going to give them the advantage over a Penn State, over a a Michigan, over a Michigan State, uh, which are all good or developing programs. I think that you're right. I think right now USC is the team that will rule the western half of that division or of this conference. If there if there are divisions, which we still have no idea what the plan for that is going to be. I mean, and I think that's one of if the reasons If you go to why. 20, you've got to have some way to separate these teams. You right? have to. Yeah, I, I've been telling everybody, I think the end game is 20 teams, and I think it's a Big Ten East and a Big Ten West. 
is what I think it's going to end up being. Um, and I think I think USC instantly becomes the top. Well, depending on who else joins, but we'll get to that. UCLA. Are they a middle of the pack Big Ten team currently? I mean, are we looking at like a Minnesota, Purdue, uh, Iowa type of team here? I don't think so. I think we're looking more at a Rutgers, Indiana, Maryland. Really? I think we're looking more at a Rutgers, Indiana uh, type of team right now. Um, Maryland, of course, has got the benefit of having uh, Talia. Tagovailoa, yep, a quarterback. So I kind of, mm-hmm. I've I've raised their stock a little, but yeah, they, Maryland would be in that same kind of grouping, I believe. You know, if it weren't, if not for the current situation, I think UCLA though has the ability to get into that middle tier. Okay, let's do this because <clears throat> I'm intrigued by that answer. I'm going to go down the 14 Big Ten teams, and I want you to give me win or loss for UCLA. Ready? Yes. Ohio State. Loss. Michigan. Loss. Penn State. Loss. Michigan State. Loss. Maryland. I think it's a loss. Right now, it's a loss. Indiana. I think it's a win. Rutgers. I don't know. I think this is a pick, America. Right now, I might take Rutgers just because I think they're a little tougher. All right, let's let's go ahead and give them the win since you said it's a pick them. <clears throat> so there's two. Nebraska. Yeah, you know the last couple of years, the the first couple of years of Frost, I'd have probably said this this was a pick them. I think right now Frost is finding out Nebraska going in the right direction. I think we saw him play a lot better last year. I th- I think Nebraska wins. Minnesota. Oh, Minnesota. Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Iowa. Iowa. Illinois. Uh, that, that, that might be a pick em game. I'm going to tell you what. Let's give them that because I think that's a pick em. Northwestern. That depends. What year is it? Uh, <laughs> last year's team. Uh, last year's team, I, I would say it's a win for UCLA. Purdue. Purdue. Okay, so you've got them basically on the top of the bottom of the basement of the Big Ten. Yes. Mm. So that's not a very good addition. Here's what's crazy. UCLA's overall record against Big Ten schools. Is really 40, good. Yeah, 47, 43, and 3. That's essentially Wisconsin. Yeah. Now, so obviously UCLA was a much better team back in the 70s. I can recall them uh, splitting with Ohio State and ruining Ohio State's chances to win a national championship when Archie Griffin was on the team and won a Heisman. So UCLA was much better back then. USC, on the other hand, different story. Their record against the Big Ten, 75-30-3. Really good. All right, let's do the same thing. SC, SC against the Big Ten. Let's start with Ohio State. Oh, that's Ohio State easy right now. Penn State. I think right now it's Penn State. Michigan. You know, Michigan's lost a lot. USC's gained a lot. Ah, that's. I'm going to give Michigan the benefit of the doubt here and go with them. Michigan State. Michigan State. 
SC is going to upset one of the ones over here, so I'm going to give I'm going to give him the upset over Sparty. Indiana. Oh, SC. Maryland. I I go Southern Cal here as well. Rutgers. Southern Cal. Illinois. Southern Cal. Iowa. That's an interesting one, isn't it? It really is because Iowa's I, defense is so good. And Iowa's going to run out three tight ends and say, we're just going to run the ball down your throat. <laughs> like, Yeah, like it's hard to score here. if you don't have the ball. And if can you imagine SC uh, uh, flying into Iowa City in like the end of November? You, you know what? I'm going to go... <sighs> I'm going to go Iowa here with the upset. Uh, it, to me, this depends when the game is played and where it's played. And where it's played, yeah. Minnesota, same thing. Yeah, I would agree. Wisconsin, same thing. Yep. Northwestern, that's definitely SC. That's SC. Nebraska, I think that's SC. I, I got to go with you there. I think that's SC as well. Purdue could be an upset here for per- Purdue. You know, Purdue likes to... To upset those better teams. Mm-hmm. And Again, I'll tell think, you, if the, if the game's being played this year, i probably take Purdue because of their quarterback. I think it's I think it's where it's You know, Caleb Williams, I just, I have to see more from him. Yeah, right now I'd say if it was played this year, especially if it was at Purdue, it's a Purdue win. So you think SC is kind of above average in the Big Ten, but probably if they're in the Big Ten, they're coming out with at least two or three losses this season. This season, yes. Okay, interesting. All right. Um, I, I have a feeling SC is going to be a little bit better than what you're anticipating. Well, you know, but I'm, but I'm looking at it as this season, Eric. If you yeah. look at, say, next season, when Lincoln Riley's had a full year there, he's had a full year of recruiting there, uh, he's got his talent and his system and his coaches in place. I, you know, that that is going to be a big difference. And I, at that point, I'm willing to say, when they come in in 2024, they are probably the second best team in the Big Ten. Okay, let's say you're Karen Warren, <laughs> which, by the way, I think you would do a better job than he does. You get the phone call from the athletic. And here's why I say, I, I let me back up. This is why I believe Gene Smith and some of the athletic directors from the Big Ten spearheaded this. Why is Gene Smith not the president of the Big Ten, by the way? No kidding, right? I mean, and, and, and I know Gene Smith, he gets a bad rap, especially from the end of the Trestle era, uh, or the uh, um, the Trestle era, and then the whole debacle with Urban Meyer and, and that 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 scenario. But um, here's the thing about Gene Smith. I believe that if you recall – when the basketball schedule comes out, he is scheduling UCLA like every other year. Have you not noticed that? Oh, yeah. And so he – in his press conference, he talked about the relationships he had with these athletic directors. Okay, that's number one. Number two, the athletic director from uh, – the athletic director at SC used to be the AD at Cincinnati. Yes. Okay. Again, he has a relationship with this guy. I believe that these talks were taking place behind the scenes. And back in 2020, when COVID hit, Gene Smith talked about the fact that he and President uh, Christina, um, what's her last name? Johnson. Jeez, I forgot her last name. Um, How that they discussed going independent. Yeah. 
I believe Ohio State, and he talked about Ohio State is basically carrying the water for the Big Ten. I believe he went to SC and UCLA and said, if you guys come, I'm going to make it happen or we're going to leave. I believe there was an ultimatum there for Kevin Warren. I really believe Ohio State wanted this more than a lot of teams. And Kevin Warren was like, okay, I guess we're going to have to do this. Okay. So you that, think Smith went in there and flexed a little bit? I do. I think Gene It Smith wouldn't surprise flexed. me at all. And if he did, well, good for him because this is a great move for the Big Ten Conference. It is. And, I mean, okay, so obviously we're going to get into the – at the end of the show, so make sure you hang around because we're going to talk about the big – the big carrot out there. I think Gene Smith and the rest of the Big Ten did this move for one, well, for two reasons. And, and one USC, of them. USC definitely has a uh, relationship with one of them. You got it. Yep. You nailed it. So we're going to come back. We're going to circle back around at the end of the show and talk more about this. But I just wanted to get kind of your initial feelings and thoughts on this, Chris, because when it when it dropped, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. And it was I was just shocked. I mean, I was just absolutely shocked that it happened as fast as it did. But, hey, you know, things are changing. Like I said, the last three or four years of college football, man, it it seems like every year something new or big happens. So no different this year. All right. We got three prospects that committed this week, Chris. Last week we talked about the three wide receivers. This week we're going to talk about the three DBs that uh, committed. And I'm going to turn this thing over to you first and let you kind of pick which guy you want to talk about. I'll respond after each one of your uh, uh, introductories to these commitments, and we'll just kind of move down the list. So you go for it, Chris. But by the way, can I just say that uh, Tim Walton and uh, Perry Eliano, those guys have been a little bit busy the last week. Yeah, they've been hitting some uh, doubles and triples, it looks like here. Yeah, they have. So let, let's start out with, with Kyan Lee. So – you know, Kyan Lee, 5'11", 185-pound corner from Cedar Grove High School in Elwood, Georgia. In, in fact, I'm trying to remember, did Walton not say not that long ago that the uh, Georgia corridor was opening up? Yep. He kind of foreshadowed that, didn't he? Yes, he did, just a little bit. Well, Lee's ranked 145th nationally, according to the 247 Sports Composite. He's the 18th best cornerback in the nation, and he's 13th best recruit from the state of Georgia. Now, Eric, what I love about Lee is, man, he's a physical corner. Uses his hands really well. Uses the body really well versus receivers. Almost boxes it out like he's playing the post, uh, you know, in basketball. Has a nose for the ball. Jumps routes extremely well. I think he reads the quarterback extraordinarily well, as, uh, you know, to boot. You know, good tackler. Does a tremendous job fighting off of blocks. Um, good speed. You know, he's logged four, four in the 40 multiple times. I could definitely see him making an impact early on as a slot corner. And he even has the versatility to potentially move to safety if we needed that move made or if it meant meant him getting more playing time. So I think they did a tremendous job here, uh, nailing Mr. Lee. All right, so here's my notes on Kyan Lee. Understands angles and leverage. Can read and react to yes. play quickly. Great recovery speed. Can track a ball with precision. He's a next-level athlete who isn't afraid to lay the boom. I believe he will see the field quickly given his talent. And I, and my last note was, no way he's not a top 100 recruit. I thought his film was fantastic. 
Uh, we've watched a lot of film in the last three, four years, Chris, on these recruits. Yes. He's one of the better DB films I've seen. Again, I have no idea how this guy is not a top 100 recruit, in my opinion. Well, I'll tell you, does he not, when he brings the, the hit, does he not just level people? Oh, he, I, I love the physicality of this kid. Yeah, he's got a little bit of Josh Proctor in him a little bit with the wanting to lay the, lay the boom on somebody. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move on from Lee and let, let's talk about the, the commitment we got to flip. How about Calvin Simpson Hunt? Simpson Hunt is a six foot, 175 pound corner from Waxahachie High School in Waxahachie, Texas. You know, we do Texas well. He is the 173rd ranked player nationally uh, in the 2023 cycle, 22nd ranked cornerback in the country, 30th best player from the state of Texas. I'll tell you to me, Eric, the first thing that stood out is this kid's speed and athleticism. And, you know, he actually, he's kind of physical for a smaller guy as well. He ran a 10-6 in the 100, posted a high jump of six foot this past spring. Just a tremendous athlete, performed at a high level in in uh, Texas Division 6A football, which is the top division in their state. I think he uses his hands really well to stuff receivers at the line of scrimmage, and he has the ability to high point the ball with some of the best receivers in the country. Now, I do see him as a bit of a project from this standpoint. As I mentioned, he uses his hands really well. Sometimes I think he's a little bit too handsy. Uh, for what you're going to see at the next level, I could see a lot of penalty flags being thrown. Uh, the other thing is, he, I saw a lot of face guarding on his video highlight reel, Eric. Uh, that's something we got to work on, getting that head turned around for the ball a little bit more. He has all the tools to be a top defender. Definitely needs to add a little bit of muscle to that six-foot frame and refine his technique. But, Eric, I think he has the potential maybe as a junior to really be a superb defensive back. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I wrote down he was a flip from Texas Tech. He has great technique, uses his hands very well, like you said, and knows how to look back for the football, kind of. I put kind of in there. So I saw the same thing you did. Um, I, he definitely has the come up through the hands technique like uh, that was taught at Ohio State a couple years ago that we've uh, hopefully are getting away from because I want my guys looking for the football. Um, he isn't afraid to mix it up. Like you said, he's very physical. Again, someone who is not afraid to get in there and tackle that tackling technique is not nearly as refined as Lee's was. It's a little bit more raw, right. but he's definitely has the cur- the courage to, to throw his nose in there. And so that you can't teach. You either have it or you don't, and he's got it. So they can teach technique. They can get in there and teach him, the, the things that he's going to need. but So I'm with you. I think this is going to be someone who's going to have to be worked on for a couple years, you know, makes his hay on special teams, and when given the opportunity as an upperclassman, he's going to have to step in there and, and take it. Um, so we'll see. You know, we'll see what he's got there, but he, get, he gives you – right off the bat, he gives you good depth, and he gives you someone to kind of push Lee is how I looked at it. Yeah. So that leaves us one more, and that is a uh, somewhat local product here, and that's Jermaine Matthews. He is out of Winton Woods High School in Cincinnati, six foot, 175 pounds, four-star prospect, ranked 355th in the nation, according to the 247 Sports Composite. 
He's the 22nd ranked athlete and the eighth best player from the state of Ohio. Eric, good speed, has the tools to be a very good cover corner. I thought his closing speed and and what I saw of his highlights was was really great. Good footwork. He really great hip movement and agility. Gets him the ability to turn and change direction really easily, easily in coverage. Again, definitely needs to add some muscle mass and strength to that frame. Again, like we mentioned with uh, Simpson Hunt, he, he does need to work on that, refining that technique a little bit. I think he needs to be a little more efficient using his hands. Yeah. Again, a bit of a project, but <clears throat> tremendous potential. And uh, he has the tools he needs to succeed at the next level. It's just a matter of refining that technique. So uh, here's what I have written down here for Jermaine Matthews. And and um, this very interesting. When you do some more digging on him, Chris, you find out last year was his first year of varsity football. Yes. So he's only got one year of varsity football, and he's going to be a senior next year. So the, he's extremely raw is the word I look at here. Um, he, I, but here's the things I like. I like his size and I like that he has got radar for the football. He knows how to strip the, how, the football. He doesn't give up on plays. He's got a great motor. I think he's going to be a above average tackler. Now his technique as a defensive back, like I said, is very raw and, and his coaches, I think they purposely played him off the ball because of that a lot. You will see him line up 10 to 15 yards off the line of scrimmage. As a defensive back, that tells me that you got a weakness, okay? Now, when he is up on the line of scrimmage, I like to use your word here, he was very handsy with the receivers. Um, Again, I think that has a lot to do with inexperience and something that's going to come over time. But let me throw this out at you, Chris. I like his size at 6 foot 175. I think he can grow into that and become more solid. Is he a possible linebacker? You know what? You add 30, 35 pounds of muscle mass. I don't think that there's any reason he couldn't be. And I don't think that's impossible given. Oh, I don't either. Especially given who he's going to train with. (laughs) That's true. Body by Mick, get him in there, right? So, yeah, I mean, I think that's at, I think it's absolutely conceivable. Uh, so, I, I mean, and I'm wondering, too, you know, he's a Cincinnati kid. I wonder how much Eliano might have been keeping his eyes on him. Yeah. You know, yeah. when he was a Cincinnati. Um, but if he has that potential to be a linebacker, he's got well, the defensive coordinator who I don't think would be afraid to pull the trigger on it. Yeah. Well, and with and with with Eliano, like you said, I wonder if they're not going to pencil him over to safety to start off. Because yeah. he's got the – like I said – He's physical as could be, and he's used to playing off the line of scrimmage already. Right. So I think that that might be a good transition for him to start. But I I saw Darren Lee in him, man. When I'm watching that film, I go, this is a young Darren yeah. Lee. He's extremely talented. He's very athletic. He's just raw. And if you remember, Darren Lee was a three-star recruit that um, – that Luke Fickle had to vouch for for Urban Meyer to take, and then he became a stud, right? So, right. so there could be some of this. I want this kid because I see these intangibles that he has, and we know that we can develop that at a position, at a at a place that he can use those to 
that we can u- utilize. You know, and it might not be at cornerback here, especially when you got someone like Kion Lee there, um, who I think is going to start by the time he's a sophomore, if not a freshman. Um, I think that guy's is has got superstar written all over him, in my opinion. So I look at Jermaine Matthews and say I think they're they're getting him and underline the word athlete there is what I think they see. I don't see a cornerback. I see someone that they're going to plug and play at either a safety position or at a linebacker, possibly. Yeah, I agree. All right. Thank you, Chris, for uh, that little breakdown of our newest commits. Um, this class for Ohio State, um, oh. we're, we're number one, Chris, right now. Like this is, and, and we're not done, Eric. I just get the feeling we're still not done. You know, that's that's the best part. Yeah, I mean, what do you think? Um, where do you think we end up? I don't think we end up number one. I think obviously Georgia, Alabama, someone like that is going. We're going to be top three. You think we're top three? We're top three. All right, so let's uh, let me let me open up our recruiting database here real fast and uh, see what I can plug from that real quickly here. Um, we've got how many recruits? Uh, Sixteen commits. I think we go what twenty three in this class. That, probably that sounds about right. Twenty three, twenty four. Yeah. So seven more spots open, probably seven to eight. We still need a quarterback, right? Right. We need at least one, if not two, offensive tackles still. Uh, we're going to get, I would say, what, two linebackers? One or two linebackers. Yeah. And then I'm going to go with at least two more defensive linemen, maybe another safety, unless they think Matthews is the safety, and then they go three defensive. So, yeah, we're looking at at least eight more people, so 24. I think defensive line is what you got to circle here. Now – we currently don't have – we only have one, Will Smith. Okay, he's the lowest-ranked guy in the entire class. So let's see what Larry Johnson does here in recruiting. And then, of course, linebacker, um, I think we get I think we get uh, Curtis Tackett. Tackett Curtis, whatever it Yeah, is. Tackett Curtis, I think we can pencil him in. I, I think so. I think we're going to get one there. So I'm pretty confident that this recruiting class, like you said, is going to end up somewhere around the top – Four. I'll go ahead and say four. You said three, didn't you? So yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's fair. Um, they still have Notre Dame over top of us. Notre Dame got another recruit. They've got fifteen four stars to our thirteen. They have one five star to our two, and they have two three stars to our one. Uh, we have them beat in the average player ranking, but they have us beaten points currently. Texas is right behind us. Texas is Texas is coming on strong. They've got three five stars in their recruiting class, nine four stars and six three stars. Um, so Texas is coming on. Clemson's at number four. Penn State's at five. Georgia's at six. They're starting to uh, heat up. What's interesting is Alabama is all the way down at number twenty-three now. They've only got eight recruits committed, but they have two five stars and five four stars already, Chris. So that's why I said Alabama's going to, they're going to come on late. They're going to be there in the end. I think Georgia's going to be there in the end. Can we, can we jump leapfrog Notre Dame, hold off Texas and Clemson and end up number three in this recruiting class? That's the question. Well, you know, Saban can't go out and spend the money just yet because 
he's been dogging Jimbo for all the money he's spending. So he's got to he's got to hold it back. He's got to wait a little while to pay the players. Yeah, it's it's really intriguing to me that that whole scenario. I don't know if you saw the video or not of of the uh, assistant coach who brought the players onto the field and he pointed up the pr- to the luxury boxes and says the people who sit in those boxes are going to pay you a lot of money if you come here. <laughs> like, uh, did anybody else just see this? <laughs> they they aren't even trying to hide it. They, you know, the, the NIL has gotten so far out of control, Eric. That this is for another show, but it's it's just gotten way out of control. Yeah. I'm trying to find A and M here for uh, this recruiting class. Um, they're at number 58, dude. They might have spent well, all they that spent money, all their last money this year. year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Uh, it cracks me up. All right, man. Here we go. We're let's turn the page and talk a little bit about um next season and or or the upcoming season here, 2022. Previewing this season, I should say, uh, Chris. We've been we we talked about running backs, wide receivers, quarterbacks, and offensive linemen. It's time to flip it over to the important side of the ball, if you ask me, the more important, and that's defense. Uh, I still believe defense helps to win championships. I didn't say defense wins championships, but by golly, it sure definitely helps. And if we had a defense in the last couple of years, Chris, I gotta feel like we've had a good enough offense to win it all. And I've been saying from the very beginning, if this defense is a top 25 defense, we're going to win a national championship this year. Did you say defense doesn't win championships? I said defense helps to win championships. Are you trying to give Aaron a stroke? I know Aaron's going to get on here and just trash me. I know that, but that's okay. Um, I think he understands as well as anybody else now that if you don't have a top level quarterback, or and or a uh, at just a great offensive line and running game that you're not going to even compete in college football today. Right. So anywho, we're going to now tackle defensive linemen, the top 10 returning defensive linemen in the Big 10. And Chris, I got to be honest with you. It's not a deep class in the Big 10 at D, at D line at all. In fact, I no. have I, I got a couple of surprises, I think, for you, Eric. I've got a very strong Scarlet and Gray list here, man. Because when you try to find a top-level defensive lineman in the Big Ten, I don't know that we have anybody who's going to be a first-round draft pick in the Big Ten. And those who might be are not eligible for the draft because they're playing Ohio State and they're sophomores. Right, so, right. And I'll tell you, one of the most surprising things I, I might tell you, though, is one that you would expect to possibly be on here from Ohio State. I don't have one here. Ooh, you did not put Zach Harrison on here. I hear you. He's broken right. my heart two years in a row, Eric. I can't I, again. I know. Well, don't worry. I've, I've, I'm, I'm there with you. <laughs> I'm, uh, so let's just dive right in. I'll let you go first. Number ten. We'll work our way down to number one. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to surprise you a little bit here, Eric. I'm going with somebody who, who you might not know real well. Kid's a bit of a dark horse, but I really like him a lot. He's a former walk-on at Iowa. That's Joe Evans. Mm. He was tied for first on the Hawkeyes last year with seven sacks. He had two against Kent State, plus he also you know, got sacks against Iowa State, Northwestern, Illinois, and Kentucky. You know, He's going to see more playing time this year. 
I think he's going to be, you know, really good coming off the edge for the Hawkeyes this season. Okay. Yeah. You're, I don't have him. And so I gotta, I gotta be, uh, gotta be honest. He's not on my list, but thank you for, uh, teaching me here. I just looked up his stats a little bit. Interestingly enough, he's, he's from Ames, Iowa. So he shunned the hometown psych, uh, cyclones to go play for the Hawkeyes. Interesting. Uh, number 10 for me is captain Jack, Jack Sawyer. So, he, as a freshman, flashed at times. 13 tackles, three sacks, one forced fumble. Now, I struggled between him and Zach Harrison here. And I went ahead and put Jack here just because Jack hasn't done it yet. But that doesn't mean that I don't think Jack is not going to be a top five defensive end in the Big Ten this year. I definitely think the potential is there. But just looking on last year's stats... He just didn't see the field enough for me, which was very interesting. So I think Jack Sawyer is definitely a top 10 guy this year with the anticipation that he might even be a top five. But I'm also not going to try to be too much of a homer. So I'll go Sawyer 10. What can I tell you? I'm going to be a homer because I do have him in the top five. I don't, I don't blame you. I definitely think it could happen. Okay. For me, uh, number nine, I've got um, – uh, edge rusher out of Wisconsin, Nick Herbig. You know, good speed and flexibility guy, has technique, doesn't use raw power to get to the quarterback. Two seasons at Wisconsin. He's at 87 tackles, 63 solo, 20 and a half sacks. Oh, I'm sorry, 20 and a half tackles for loss, 10 sacks. He's broken up five passes, two fumble recoveries, two forced fumbles. The guy's all over the field. Last season, 61 tackles. 14 and a half for loss, nine sacks, four breakups. I've got him in at number nine. Did they move him to the defensive line or is he still a linebacker? He's still showing as an edge or he's showing as an edge now. Okay. Cause he was a linebacker last year. He was a linebacker, but they've got him listed as an edge. So. Hmm. Cause I took him off my list because I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't find that he was going to be on the line or if he was going to still be a linebacker. So I have him kind of penciled in as a linebacker, but if he's going to be on the edge, then he definitely needs to be on this list. Well, I guess so. only, only time's going to tell they, they can change it four or five times before the start of the season. And he might be both. You know, he, he might could like very a, well be listed as both. Yeah, he could end up being a stand-up uh, defensive end slash linebacker. Yeah. So, ooh, yeah, I, I, I hear you. I mean, I had him on my list. I probably should have kept him there. That makes sense, but I struggled with that one. Number nine for me is Ty Robinson from Nebraska, the redshirt sophomore. He had 27 tackles and two sacks last year, definitely coming into his own, and he is going to be expected to lead that line there in Lincoln. I don't know how I like again. I probably would not have Robinson on my list if I, if Her, if Herbig, uh, Nick Herbig in Wisconsin is going to be a defensive lineman, but I have Robinson at number nine. All right, number eight for me. I'm actually going to stay in Nebraska, and I'm going to go with Ochon Mathis, six five, two sixty edge rusher, uh, transferring in from TCU. You know, over four year, over the last three seasons down there, he's at 131 tackles, 75 of those were solo, 15 and a half sacks, a forced fumble. Last season, 45 tackles, 30 solo, four sacks. You know, I think uh, 
Frosty's got himself a pretty good one in this young transfer. Do you think Mathis is going to have a better year than Robinson? I do. Okay. That, that that makes sense why you have him in there then. I got gotcha. um, you. See, I went with Robinson because he's been there and he's been developing. You know what I mean? As, as, as opposed to Mathis transferring in. But I understand why you would go that way because he did have – he had some really good stats, especially back in 2020 when he had nine sacks, man. Yeah. That, that's beastly right there. But and that was, also, that was that COVID shortened year. It was, but that's also in the Big 12, and we all know, and the people have been saying, you know, the Big 12 defense is just really odd compared to uh, the Big 10. He's going to go up against much, much better offensive Well, he had a lot more there. chances because everybody in the Big 12 throws 12, uh, 70 passes a game. So. Ole! Exactly. You got it. Number eight, let's go back to Ohio State and let's talk about Big Tyleek Williams, the sophomore. You talk about someone who flashed last year when he got onto the field. He didn't play a whole lot, but he had 16 tackles. That included five sacks and one forced fumble. We've learned that Tyleek Williams just wasn't in good enough shape to play an entire game, which is why he was rotated so much. He obviously has been concentrating on getting in better shape this offseason. I look for Tyleek Williams to just be an absolute monster up the middle. He might even be higher ranked than this, in all honesty, but I'll go ahead and say eighth for right now. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I've actually got him one ahead of you, so I'm not going to sit here and regurgitate your stats. This, I've got Tyleek in there next. So. All right, number seven for me then. Let's go up to the state up north and talk about Mazzy Smith from Michigan. Uh, the junior had 37 tackles last year, and they're expecting big things from him this year. But can he come anywhere close to what they saw last year at Michigan on that defensive line. My guess is no, I don't think he's going to be a top five defensive lineman. Yeah, I had him in at six, Eric. And the biggest reason that he wasn't higher than that is the fact that last year he played alongside two of the nation's best pass rushers. All right. You know, no. And he doesn't have that this year. So, yeah, yeah, you got it. Number six for me, this is where I have Zach Harrison penciled in for you, Chris. Now I understand where you're coming from. And the fact that he's just not lived up to the expectations that we have talked about when we've talked about guys like the Bosa brothers and Chase Young. And here he goes from Central Ohio, a five-star recruit. He has all the measurables. He's got a wingspan that just looks like a jet engine airplane coming at you. But he's just been slow off the ball a lot, seems out of place sometimes, and and, and, and confused. But when you look at his stats, Zach Harrison had 33 tackles, three sacks, and two forced fumbles. Overall, those statistics are not bad. So can he improve on that and become someone reliable? Or is Jack Sawyer and JTT going to get the majority of the snaps because they are just better? I don't know. This is the big question mark for me with Ohio State this year defensively outside of just the scheme of the new defense. Can our defensive line return to the greatness that we expected when we had the Bosa's and Chase Young up through 2019? That, to me, is the big question. And if, if Zach Harrison's able to finally take that step and be that guy, then my answer to that question will be, heck yes. If he can't, now we're relying on sophomores like Sawyer, uh, Williams and Tumulau to do the job. So I'm going to go ahead and say Zach Harrison's number six for me, underline him and put a question mark there. 
I couldn't do it, Eric. I, I, I wanted I wanted to put Zach Harris on that list, and I hope you're right. But, you know, I think he's going to lose a lot of that playing time I mean, with sophomores. The guy's getting a ton of press this offseason from the He got a ton of press last season. Yeah, but like seriously, like he's being he's in all, he's on all these all American like watch lists, which is I'm thinking why? But I mean, if if, if he's able to do what what he's been expected to do, it's good. It's it's now or never, Chris. I mean, it's this is it, man. If you don't do it right away, you you're gonna lose your job to to Sawyer, I think. And that's why I've got Sawyer in at number five. I think the the super soft is poised for a huge season this season. You know, like you said, 13 tackles, three sacks, a forced fumble last year. That was in limited playing time. He's going to see a much more increased role uh, this season. I expect him to just have huge numbers. All right. Help me out, Chris. The Northwestern redshirt junior defensive lineman. I love Ad- this kid. Adatamuia. Adabawar. Thank you. Yeah. Adatomi. He was also my number four. All right. I got him in at number five. Uh, 36 tackles, four and a half sacks, two forced fumbles. The only problem, Chris, plays on Northwestern. And I just, I don't see Northwestern. I know this well, they're is They're going to have a lot of time to play defense, so he should be able to gather some numbers. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, you had him at number four, you said? Yeah, I've got him in at number four. I love the kid. You know, he just has a way of finding himself in the backfield. He's physical. He's smart. You know, like you said, he's accumulated 59 tackles, uh, 15 and a half tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks, five pass breakups, and two fumbles uh, since he's been at uh, Northwestern last season. 36 tackles, eight and a half for loss, four and a half sacks. He had an interception, three pass breakups, and two forced fumbles. The guy just gets to the ball. He gets to the quarterback. I, I think he's going to have a tremendous season. Number four for me is Noah Shannon from Iowa. The redshirt junior had 47 tackles, two sacks last year, and a very, very good defense for Iowa. And here's the thing. Iowa's offense sucks. I mean, they're bad. They're going to be terrible. So Much they, like Northwestern, he'll have a lot of chance to pad the stats. You nailed it. Yep. I think Noah Shannon is, is going to have a, a – he's going to have to have a tremendous year for Iowa to have a chance. All right. Well, that means we are in the top three, Eric. So this is where I have one Mr. JT Tumalau penciled in. I really think he's going to have a tremendous season this season. You know, he's one of the most promising young talents on the list. He did see some action as a true freshman, 17 tackles, two and a half sacks in that limited action. 6'4", 275. We've seen it firsthand. Very versatile. Can play multiple positions across that defensive front. With the skill set, the year of experience under his belt, and the increased playing time, I think this kid becomes a star this season. Yeah, I actually got him number three as well, Chris. So there you have it, man. I'm not going to regurgitate like you say. So uh, number three for me, JTT. All right. Number two for me. Let's talk about a little bit of defensive tackle. And we're going to go over to Penn State and PJ Mustafar. Mustafar. There we go. Six foot four, 324. This guy's just a monster clogging up the middle of the line. Uh, you know, 
just tremendous strength. He's got a great motor. He just, in four seasons, 107 tackles, 49 solo, 10 for loss, three sacks, two forced fumbles. Now, he spent most of last year injured, Eric, and normally I will not give somebody that kind of uh, love when they're coming back off of injury, which should tell you what a talent I think this guy is. I've got him in at number two. Number two for me, I'm going to go to Sparty and talk about Jacob Slade. Redshirt junior, 40 tackles, two and a half sacks, one fumble return. I like this kid. He's got a great motor. Uh, I, he's kind of unsung. He's kind of my little secret uh, on this list. I think Jacob Slade is is very, very good. He, was, he would be one. There's not too many guys. You just mentioned one. But there's not too many guys who I would say, hey, I wish he was on my team. Jacob Slade's one of those guys to, for me. Kind of makes me feel like we got the wrong Lewis Center prospect. That's all I'm going to say, Eric. Oh. <laughs> but, yeah, I've got Jacob Slade in at number one. Like you wow. said, 4, 315. The, the Lewis Center native, he, he's he's a beast on that defensive line. Last season, 40 tackles, two and a half sacks, a fumble recovery. And I think he's going to be even better this season. He just wreaks havoc. And I think there's going to be a lot of linemen in the Big Ten uh, who aren't going to want to face this guy this season. Yeah, he's yeah, he's good, man. I like I said, I look at this guy, and you're right. I wish, I wish, I say it every year, dude. Like every year, I'm like, how do these people? Michigan State comes in, will grab people from Ohio, and just make stars out of them. His recruiting numbers. Do you want? To, are you ready for this? Class of 2018. Yeah. Okay. He was nationally ranked 1,127. Ohio State never even looked at him because of that. And now he's an absolute stud. Now, it took him a while to get there. He had to develop that. But he went to Michigan State. He 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 stayed through the tumultuous turnover. He righted the ship. And the dude, the dude is going to be an NFL player. I don't think he's a first-round draft pick. But I think he's a, at least a second-day draft pick. Yeah, right now, if I had to guess, I'd slate him as a third rounder. Yeah, and that's if he just stays consistent with like same stats as he's had, you know, last year. So, number one for me, you have him number two, PJ Mustafer from Penn State, senior, twenty-one tackles and a sack last year. Like you said, uh, with the injury, I think this guy is just an absolute beast, and one of the reasons why Penn State has got a chance to make it in a bowl game this year. And be competitive in the Big Ten again. I do not think Penn State's going to compete for a Big Ten championship. But defensively, they are still very, very good. And he is one of the reasons why up front. So, P.J. Mustafer. So, you had three Buckeyes, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, I had uh, the Softs. Yep, you got the Super Soft defensive linemen. I had them as well. I threw Jack Sawyer in. Um, so we had some different guys there, but for the most part, the, the the big names were all there. Again, I think overall, Chris, the defensive line play in the Big Ten looks a little soft this year compared to what we're used to. Well, why don't you tell that to Travion? He's going to enjoy hearing that. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Now, the, the linebacker play? Whole different ball game, Chris. <laughs> there's a little some, different, a little different. Yeah, there's some. Well, maybe really maybe CJ will enjoy it a little bit more than Travion. There you go. Yeah, yeah. There you go. All right, we're gonna take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're gonna hit the Mount Rushmore of the 1980s, and then we're gonna finish up by talking 
about what has been a crazy week in college football with the addition of UC, USC and UCLA. And then we're going to have to ask the question, what's next? So hang tight, everybody. The OHIO Podcast is brought to you by Mastermind. Mastermind specializes in 360-degree high-definition mobile video mapping, GIS integration, and traffic safety studies. Mastermind cares about traffic safety and keeping you safe on the roadway. Visit Mastermind at OnlineMastermind.com. And welcome back to the OHIO podcast. All right, Chris, we've been starting. We started this weeks ago with the Mount Rushmore. I think we started in the 40s, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. We are now all the way up to the 1980s. Gosh, you want to talk about a decade? I'd love to go back and live, man. It would be the 80s. Just saying. I was born in 81. I I have fond memories of the 80s. The music was great in the 80s. The entertainment and the movies were great in the 80s. Uh, as you well know, uh, being a, my uh, partner on the varsity videos, how much I love the 80s. But this list for the 80s was nowhere near as hard as the 70s. <laughs> no, no. In fact, I think we had, like we talked about, there was three sure things and a you know a minor debate for a fourth spot. Yep. So let's get into it. Let's start with the sh- first uh, sure thing. I I, I got to do it. I got to take the lead here. Can we, talk, can we talk about Chris Spielman for just a minute, man? Why not? Two-time consensus All-American in 1986 and 87. Won the Lombardi Award in 87. Uh, the Chick Harley Award in 87. Was on a Wheaties box, I believe, coming out of high school, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's number three all-time at Ohio State in tackles with 546. Uh, he's number two and number five all-time in single-season tackles with 205 in, in 1986 and 156 again in 1987. He's tied for number one for the single-game uh, tackles record with 29, and he did so in the game against the team up north in 1986. He's also tied for number eight in single-game tackles with 22, and that came also in 86 against Washington. Number 36 is iconic number at Ohio State for linebackers. Chris Spielman is the man. I loved him on radio. I followed his career my whole life. And just I'm a huge Spielman fan. And there's no way that he is not on this list and leads this list. Yeah, absolutely. He's the only reason I'd watch the Detroit Lions play football. (laughs) I mean, seriously, he was the only reason to watch him. And then. Barry of course, Sanders. he became a Brown there for a while, so that was great for me. But, yeah, I agree with you. This guy is definitely the number one spot on the 1980s route, uh, Mount Rushmore. So let's talk about that another number two spot. How about we talk about another guy named Chris, Eric? Let's do How it. about we talk about Chris Carter? 164 catches, 2,725 yards, 27 touchdowns, exceptional hands. The guy, just a tremendous route runner, tremendous body control. This guy, I can only imagine if he were in his prime today, what he would do with a C.J. Stroud throwing him the ball. Because it did, he could make a diving catch, a leaping catch, acrobatic over-the-shoulder catches. Uh, you know, in 85, Carter set a Rose Bowl record with nine interceptions for 172. Uh, in 1986, Carter... Put together one of the great seasons in OSU history, 69 catches, 11-27. In an era where we ran the ball 
these are tremendous numbers. Uh, you know, Chris Carter, and and let's not forget, this is a guy who lost his senior season. Mm-hmm. And if I recall correctly, was injured part of his freshman season with an ankle. So those numbers could be so much higher uh, than they really are. But Chris Carter, definitely deserving, I think, of that number two spot. Yeah, number four all-time in receptions with 168. Number four all-time in career receiving yards, like you said, 2,725. Number four all-time in single-season receiving yards with 1,127 in 1986. Number four all-time in receiving touchdowns with 27. Uh, number nine all-time in receiving touchdowns in a single season with 11 in 1986. Consensus All-American in 86. Chris Carter's the man. Uh, way above, way ahead of his time. At, without a sh- shadow of a doubt, he's on this list. Let's stay on the offensive side, can we? And let's talk about shoeless Keith Byers. <laughs> One of my favorite plays of the 80s. Oh, my gosh. Just amazing. Number seven rushing attempts. Number seven all-time in Ohio State with, with rushing attempts was 619. Number one with rushing attempts in a single season with 336 in 1984. You want to talk about what a workhorse looks like. It was Keith Byers. Number three all-time rushing attempts in single game with 40 in 1984 against Michigan State. Uh, he was also number four all time in that same exact category with 39 against Illinois. And that was the game he ran out of his shoe that like you mentioned uh, in that great comeback. Number nine all time in rushing yards with 3,200. Number five all time in single season rushing yards with 1,764 in 1986. He's tied at number four all time in single game rushing yards with 274. Again, that was against Illinois in 1986 in that great game. Uh, number two. Uh, all-time in career rushing touchdowns with 46. He's number four and number six in single season touchdowns with 22 and 84 and 20 and 83. And he's tied for number one for the single game rushing touchdowns with five. And again, it was against Illinois. What a game. He was a consensus All-American in 1984, was the Big Ten most valuable player in 1984. I think they call that the silver football now today. He was a two-time first-team All-Big Ten in 83 and 84, was the runner-up for the Heisman in 84. And gosh dang it, he should have won it because they gave it to Flutie because of a stupid Hail Mary. And yes, I'm bitter, and I was only three years old, but he deserved the Heisman. Okay. Are are you done? Yeah, I'm finished. (laughs) I'm finished. Did you get that out? I did. (laughs) Yeah. So, Eric, the number four spot for me, boy, I'll tell you, I went back and forth between two guys on this spot. But ultimately, I gave it to one over another because of of the decisions this guy made on the field and off the field. So I passed up Art Schwester, did not put him on here. 46 interceptions. And just some real big off the season, off the field problems slid him out of that four spot for me. I'm going with Pepper Johnson. You know, Pepper played for the Buckeyes between 82 and 85, was an All-American as a senior. He had 379 tackles, good for fourth all-time on OSU's list. 1984 and 85, Johnson led the squad in tackles. Of course, he played alongside Chris Spielman, made probably the most formidable linebacking tandem in college football at the time. Team captain, voted defensive MVP MVP in both his junior and senior seasons, was named all Big Ten both of those years. After he left Ohio State, went on to be a two-time Super Bowl champion. I got Pepper Johnson in at four. 
I was all ready to make the debate with you and go with Schleister, but I'm not going to. I'm gonna I'm gonna concede today and say Pepper Johnson probably needs to be that person on that and not on that Mount Rushmore of the 1980s with you. I, I I'm gonna concede. You've done that for me in past arguments. I'm gonna do that for you. And I'm gonna say Pepper Johnson over Schleister. I agree. The 46 interceptions were just a little bit more for me than I could overlook. When you've almost got a one-to-one TD to interception ratio, that's a little rough on a quarterback. It is. It is. So, all right, let's let's wrap this thing up by going back and talking about what we talked about, and that is conference expansion. The Big Ten's not done, Chris. They're not done. They're going to be adding some more teams. It all depends on what Notre Dame is going to do. This thing is going to go one of two ways. Notre Dame is either going to have to join the ACC or they're going to have to join the Big Ten. I just don't see them being able to keep their independence at this time. Do you agree or disagree with me on that? Oh, I agree 100%. And I think that, honestly, I I can't see them going 100% to the ACC. I, I don't see them joining that that league and it's the football is just not that strong there it's not going to get them where they want to go so you know i've thought about notre dame a lot obviously one of the top three brands in all of college sports their tradition a great fan base they travel well the they're relevant in football and you know that's pretty decent basketball teams in recent years Their location is an ideal fit for the Big Ten. They already play at least one Big Ten team every year. They already have a natural rivalry with USC, which we talked about. Dynamic young coach in Marcus Freeman, and he has ties to Ohio State, creating another great potential rivalry. And let's face it, you, you pull Notre Dame away from the ACC, that conference is dead as far as football is concerned. Yeah, you had Clemson who had their couple years, but you know what? Didn't look so great last year. Everything about Notre Dame and the Big Ten is right now. Notre Dame is not AAU affiliated. In the past, that's been a huge deal, but not when it came to Notre Dame. Hasn't stopped us from trying to pursue them before. I think that the, the, there's going to be a big push to get Notre Dame in the Big Ten. All right. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> I do you let me say let me ask you this quick question. Do you think a part of the appeal to get USC to come to the Big Ten was to try to draw Notre Dame? Without a doubt. Okay. I, I agree. You also brought up the AAU affiliations. Oregon and Washington are both AAU schools. I believe Stanford is and utah is they're the other two uh um pac-12 schools that are i don't think utah or stanford are colorado is as well eric yeah colorado has no chance at all they're they're they're, the big Ten's not even going to look at them um i could be wrong i guess because the denver denver's an awful good tv market um i just don't know if boulder really translates to the denver fan base you know what i mean yeah. Um, anywho, 
I think Oregon and Washington are almost a given. Um, they've already asked the Big Ten if they could join. And the, the Big Ten literally said to them, this is – I don't have an exact quote, but there have been multiple reports that the Big Ten replied to Oregon and Washington and said, we'll get back to you. We're waiting on what Notre Dame says. <laughs> so that – it's all – everything. You know, I don't know how big of an issue that really is, Eric, because if you look at it, I think that without a doubt, by 2024 – things are going to be in place to be a 20-team conference. Whether we start playing 20 teams in 2024, I don't know, but everything will be in place as of 2024 for the Big Ten to be a 20-team conference. And so do you think Washington and Oregon are going to be a part of that? I do. I agree, and I'll tell you. Like you said, I think it's a natural fit. Mm -hmm. If you're going to have, whether it's an East and a West, or whether you're going to, like I mentioned, the – Possibly, you know, four divisions with five pod, five teams per pod. You've got to have other teams out west that aren't as far to travel for those USC and UCLA games. They are AAU. Oregon has been a national powerhouse the last few years. And they threw a little fuel in that fire with uh, Ohio State. And if really Gene Smith is behind, the driving force behind expansion right now, you have to think that he would love to get his shot at Oregon, you know, uh, again. So, yeah, I, I think that Oregon's a natural fit. Washington, I also like the possibility of Utah. I I don't think Utah stays a chance. There, there's um, The market's just not big enough there for Utah with Salt Lake City. I think Washington, you have the Seattle market. I think Oregon, because you have Nike money. Okay, that that's going to yes. be a big part of that. Um, Notre Dame, obviously, if I think a lot of what Notre happens, Dame's the number one. That's who we want. Yes, I think a lot of what happens moving forward in college football is dependent upon what Notre Dame does. If Notre Dame goes to the ACC, they're going to save that conference from falling apart. That's the, AC, the only thing that could save that conference. Exactly. If Notre Dame joins the Big Ten, I think the ACC is going to fall apart and they're going to get plucked big time. And I think, I Do think, you think the ACC and the Big Twelve then join up, or the what's left of the Pac-10 and the Big Twelve join I up. I think, I think the SEC goes in and robs them from their four best. I think Clemson and Miami and probably Florida State uh, and one other one end up going to the SEC, more than likely. I think Notre Dame joining the Big Ten opens the door for North Carolina to become a Big Ten school. They are another AAU school. Um, That would not break my heart at all either. No, and the only thing that would, I think, prevent Notre Dame from coming is how strong of a commitment do they have with Duke. That's the only thing that that would, yeah. you know, because I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe you can look this up real fast. I don't know if Duke is an AAU school. I know Virginia is, and I know that North Carolina is, and I know that that's still a big deal to the Big Ten. Now, the reason why Notre Dame, despite the fact that they're not an AAU school, will still be accepted into the Big Ten is because of their high academic standards, you know? 
so uh, I think the Big Ten will look at that and basically be like, you pretty much are an AAU school. You have such high academic standards. If you applied to be an AAU school, we'd ex- you'd be accepted overnight type of thing. Uh, plus you're Notre Dame. So, yeah. we, we, we And Duke is an AAU school. They are. Okay. So it'll be very interesting because if, 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 if Notre Dame decides to go to the ACC – and Washington and Oregon are the next two dominoes to fall. That means the Big Ten is at 18. Do they want to stay at 18? Or do they go ahead and be uber aggressive and say, okay, if Notre Dame's going to go to the ACC, we're still going to go with two other teams. Maybe they go with a Stanford. Maybe they go um, with a Kansas. I know Kansas is still being talked to by the Big Ten. I've heard that from multiple fronts. And I know Kansas is not great as far as football is concerned, but that is a massive powerhouse in basketball. Can you imagine the Big Ten in basketball having the likes of Indiana, which is a blue blood, okay, uh, UCLA, blue blood, Kansas, blue blood, Illinois, blue blood, all in the same conference? I mean, it's that is mind-blowing in basketball, man. Just Can I throw an idea out here for you that might be a little bit off the beaten path, but it's one that if they are after Notre Dame, might be an intri- intriguing one. Now, again, it would be one where we'd have to waive an AAU affiliation. But I think it would be a huge piece to getting Notre Dame, and it would be a huge television market. What about pitching to Boston College? I have heard that you get that that there's again, you've got a great affiliation with Notre Dame. You have ties to the big 10 in Ohio state with, with Halfley up there. It's got a pretty good football tradition. You know, your boy, Doug Flutie. Stop. Uh, (laughs) Well, it's a dark horse, but I'll tell you, you got natural, you have a natural rivals with Maryland and Rutgers right away. Correct. Not that we care about them, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, there's there's you you now have you now have if you were to get Boston College, you would have the Boston, New York and Washington, D.C. markets. And Los Angeles. And then L.A., you're right. You'd have Columbus, which encompasses Cleveland. You've got Penn State, which encompasses Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. A lot of fans there are Penn State fans. Uh, you have the teams up north, with enco- which encompasses Detroit. Not that we care, but it's still there. Minneapolis, which is a big market, you know. I just think that there's – at this point, the ratings in the Big Ten, which are already the best in college football, begin to dwarf the SEC. And the other thing it does is it opens up recruiting from coast to coast, which is one thing that Gene Smith talked about. If you're going to compete with – the SEC moving forward, you've got to have a large recruiting footprint for your best teams. So Ohio State, SC are immediately on the same ground, on the same plateau as as Alabama and Georgia are right away. So, and again, I think the ACC is is what's very interesting here. Because if Notre Dame decides we're all in with the ACC, I think the ACC is going to start to uh, try to pluck schools as well. 
and try to get bigger. I think they go after West Virginia from the Big 12 immediately. I think they go after someone like App State, you know, Appalachian State, uh, maybe even Eastern Carolina. Um, and they try to they try to increase their conference, not so much with bigger names, but at least with with, you know, more schools so that they can say we are also uh, a mega conference along with the Big Ten and the SEC. And when that happens, the Big 12 crumbles. The Big 12 is essentially the American conference at that point. So if the Big 12 crumbles, is there a scenario where Cincinnati ends up back in the mix to the Big 10? It will never ha- – listen, people talk about it all the time. Cincinnati will never be a part of the Big 10. Ohio State will never let Cincinnati into the Big 10. And it's not because we're scared of them. It's simply put, we do not want to do to ourselves – what Michigan did by letting Michigan State into the conference. Which makes we, sense. We want to be the only team in Ohio in the Big Ten. Okay? That is that is not a secret. That has been known for a long, long time. And it's always interesting to me when people bring up Cincinnati because I'm like, you guys obviously don't know the story. Ohio State does Ohio State would never let it happen, ever. Um, a lot of people brought up Louisville. That's another one. Again, Cincinnati. Uh, again, Ohio State looks at Louisville the same way we look at Cincinnati. Like you're not even your like states. Like you're not even Kentucky. You know what I mean? And Kentucky would never leave the SEC for the Big Ten. So that's not that. That's a pipe dream. So I don't think Louisville leads the ACC. Um, if anything, they would be gobbled up by the SEC, which I don't think will happen. Um, I've heard people mention Georgia Tech to the Big Ten. I don't think that happens. If anything, what it's about be, Pitt? Pitt's, Pitt's an not, AAU school. Pitt is an AAU school, but oh, the Pittsburgh market is not huge, dude. Well, no, but I'll tell you what, they would have. Again, you talk about natural rivalries. Look at the look at the proximity with Penn State, Maryland, Rutgers, even Ohio State. I, I you know what? I wonder if Penn State feels the same way about Pitt as we do with Cincinnati. Like we don't want I'll them. I'll tell you to what they are. If they're, they do, if they're smart. Yeah, I, I agree with Pitt that. Is a, Pitt is a decent football team right now, but they got a rich tradition, man. And if they, if they were to get an entry into a big conference, like the, the big 10, I think they could really catapult themselves. They got, you know, Dan Marino was from Pitt. Tony Dorsett. Tony Dorsett. Larry Fitz, uh, Patch, uh, was it Fitzgerald or the wide receiver for Arizona Cardinals? Yeah. Yeah, he was from Pitt. Um, yeah, they've they've got they've had great players, but so is, so is Marshall. <laughs> so you know, it's like uh, uh, anywho, I think this is a great debate. Let's finish the show with our predictions. When it's all said and done. How many schools are going to be in the Big Ten, and which new additions are they going to be, Chris? Well, there's going to be 20, Eric, and it's going to be – excuse me. We're already at 16. Right. It's going to be Notre Dame. Okay. So Notre Dame is going to be 17. I think Oregon is 18. I think Washington is 19. And then, you know, number 20 has been the one that, that has really, really given me the uh, the head scratcher. But I think it's Boston College. I really do think that they, they purge Boston College. 
I'm going to go with Oregon and Washington. And at this moment, I'm going to lean Notre Dame. And I say we bring North Carolina in with them. That's I don't think prediction. you can go wrong either way. And I think we become the premier college basketball conference, hands down. I mean, can you imagine UCLA, North Carolina joining the Big Ten in basketball? I mean, shoot. And if Chris Holtman ever learns to do with what, you know, what to do with all that talent he's got, we, we could be a juggernaut ourselves. That's true. That's true. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Obviously, there's so much going on. We hope you have a great Independence Day tomorrow as we record this late Sunday night. Um, who knows what the news is going to bring this week? Just stay tuned. We're, we're, we might come back next week, and, and Oregon and Washington and Notre Dame are all in. You know, We don't know. Um, so stay tuned to that. Obviously, more dominoes are going to fall. I think the SEC is obviously making a big move behind the scenes as well right now. So that's going to be interesting uh, what what direction they move. I think they go after some more Big 12 schools. I really do. Um, and it could be it could be nothing. We'd hear nothing again for another year, which is kind of what happened last time. Texas and uh, Oklahoma left, and then we didn't hear anything. And then all of a sudden UCLA and uh, USC are in the Big 10, which is, again, mind-blowing to me. I, I just it's still trying to comprehend all of this. Next week, Chris, we actually begin uh, our previews. Now, we're not going to start our two-a-days until two more weeks out, but next week we're going to start our previews, and we're going to start with Nebraska. I'll be doing a preview for Nebraska. They're going to sound and look a little different this year, so I'm excited about that. And there's a lot of news just coming down the pike, guys, for the OHL podcast as we embark on our fourth season of following and talking Ohio State football. As always, be kind to one another. I owe someone's OH and sing Carmen, Ohio with all your heart. And until next time, Chris, OH! Oh! Go Bucks. Oh, come, let's sing Ohio's praise. And songs through Amaterain While our hearts rebounding thrill And joy which death alone can still Summer's heat Oh, winter's cold, the seasons pass, the years will roll. Time and change will surely show how firm thy friendship. Oh, hi, yo.